Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello, this is David Hepworth. Last week, I went to see a singer-songwriter who introduced one song by saying, this is about a girl who tried to stab me. And then he played the song and didn't explain any further. I find that kind of thing very frustrating. If you're going to start a story, it strikes me, you ought to finish it particularly if the experience was memorable enough to inspire you to write a song. Contrast that with Mary Gaucher, who I talked to on a recent trip to London. She didn't begin writing songs until she was in her mid-thirties, and since then she's not spared us any details about the life that inspired those songs. She was born in Louisiana 47 years ago, given up by her birth mother and adopted as a child into a sadly dysfunctional family. At the age of 15, she'd had enough. She described what happened next in the song Drag Queens and Limousines on her second record, which came out in 1999. I stole mama's car on a Sunday Good. I moved in with some friends in the city in a bad neighborhood. Charles was a dancer, he loved the ballet. Having stolen her adoptive mother's car and run away. Mary Gaucher spent the next few years in a variety of halfway houses and drug rehabilitation centres, experiences which she recounted in unflinching detail in the songs on her first few records. These dealt with her struggles with drugs, drink and her own sexuality. In the summer I cut grass to make a few bucks Worked for Mr. Jones for years, he called me son Take his money, then I'd say, thank you, kind. 
a boy, I never told him I wasn't one. Yeah, the best part of those days is I was carefree. Nobody telling me to act more like a girl. When you're ten years old, it's cute to be a tomboy. In a couple of years, you got to deal with. By her early thirties, Mary Gaucher was living in Boston, working in a restaurant. A functioning alcoholic who was keen to get into music, but didn't really know how to go about it. Whereas most songwriters come up with their first efforts before they've even worked out the details of the life they intend to sing about, Mary Gaucher started songwriting at the age of 35. I asked her what was the trigger. I got sober. July 13, 1990. I had my last drink.、Mm-hmm. And then my mind cleared. I started to be able to think beyond single-word answers, and the sentences grew into paragraphs, and paragraphs grew into into actual, you know, reasonable thought processes that I hadn't had since I was a kid. And I became became interested in、uh, in 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 reading and writing. And、um, I'd always been given、uh, a gift of language. And、I've always thought of myself as a writer, but I wasn't writing. And I just fell into songwriting naturally. My restaurant was next door, next door to a music school, Berkeley College of Music. Oh right, the okay, Berkeley with the two E's at the end. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, Gill, Gillian Walsh and Dave Rollins were students there, and they used to come to my restaurant and eat. I see. Yeah. So you knew them before you were. I didn't know them. I knew of Gillian because of、uh, that record, because she got a publishing deal in Nashville. The songwriting teacher hooked her up with a publisher in Nashville, and I was trying to figure out my way to how to get to that guy so he could hook me up too. So I knew of Gillian before her first record came out because of the deal she got, and then her songs were getting recorded.、Um, and I just had songwriters all around me and found my way into it, and fell in love with it, and have not looked back. So it's part of the process of therapy, giving up drinking. Yeah. Was discovering you could do these kind of things. Yeah, I hate to use the word therapy. I think I would be more comfortable with self-discovery,、uh-huh. self-understanding, and maybe even more than that, understanding of human nature,、yeah. how we end up, how we end up. So, were you doing daily meetings and so forth? Oh yeah. Kind of thing, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You still do that now?、Yeah. Not daily, but、yeah. I still, yeah, absolutely.、Yeah. I can't stay sober alone. It's、yeah. not willpower that keeps you sober. It's the opposite. It's surrender. Fish swim, birds fly. Daddy's yell, mama's cry. Old men sit and think. Mary wrote about her alcoholism in "I Drink," a song which became her signature tune, and something of a new country classic thanks to Bob Dylan, who made a fuss about it on his theme time radio hour. It's a startlingly bold song, which manages to be simultaneously poetic and forensic. I put it to her that her songwriting seems to be straining for a greater simplicity all the time. You seem to be—it seems to be a long process of getting simpler and simpler. Is that the case? Absolutely. The hardest thing is to write simple. Tell me more about that. How does that work?、Um, well, because you have to go through—you、uh, have to slay several dragons. 
gone. You know, you have to uh, you have to surrender to not looking good, not looking in your song, right? Not looking smart, not looking uh, clever, not looking uh, wise. You have to be willing to to be vulnerable and reveal the self as it is. And uh, that's never something we do in public daily life. We work really hard to cover that up. And so to get to the place where you reveal it, you have to go through a lot of layers of ego walls that are there to protect us. So it's very hard to get to simple. Very hard to get to Hank Williams. <laughs> well, he did it quite easily, didn't he? He did. That's why he's a legendary songwriter and his songs will live in eternity. But presumably he didn't throw much away, did he? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. But you throw quite a lot away. I throw most everything away. But you write a lot, so you, you, you can sit down to write and something comes out quite quickly, does it? Yeah, but it's usually not very good. The, the stuff that I keep, that I bring to the public is, is, is crafted and, and has taken me thousands and thousands. I don't know how many to get it right. It's not the first draft, I can tell you that, ever. Right, right. So you're more of the Leonard Cohen school than the Bob Dylan school? The Leonard Cohen school, absolutely. How, what's the longest it would take you to write a song? Years. Give me an example. I drink to two, two and a half years. Two and a half years? The bridge. I had the verses in the chorus, but the bridge, I know what I am and I don't give a damn. I probably tried 500, 600 different lines in there. Really? Yeah. I mean, you demoed them or wrote them down or just tried them I tried into them the, the audiences. Right, really? I tried them in every way, yeah. Until I could... See, what I had to do with that song is to let you know that the character cared about being an alcoholic. And I didn't know how to do it. Actually, you know, I w it, it came to me because I had a really bad manager who was a criminal. One of these guys, this stereotypical bad mafioso-type manager. And he said over and over again, trust me, I'm a good guy. Trust me, I'm a good guy. And somewhere in there, I started to realize that good guys never say, trust me, I'm a good guy. That right there, he gave himself away. That, that you know when somebody's saying that to you, you got a problem. And that's when I realized the line should be, I know what I am and I don't give a damn. Because when somebody says, I don't give a damn, that's when you know that they do. So they don't need to prove to you who they are. Right. 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 But two, two and a half years. To you find it. I had to live through understanding that quirk in human nature before I could put the words in that character's mouth. I didn't understand that quirk yet. So my wisdom comes slowly. Right, so it wasn't just reaching for the right line, it was reaching for the right thought that produced the line. The right insight into human nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you weren't tempted during that period to just say, I've got a good song here, I'll just, let's, let's get it out there. But you were performing it, presumably. You say. Yeah, and I was tempted, but I knew I could have a great song. And one of my teachers, God bless him, taught me early on that the good is the enemy of the great. It is the good that is the enemy of the great. Go on, expand on that. Well, the world doesn't need another good song. We've got enough. Right. We've got enough good songs. I'm not going to get where I want to go as an artist writing good songs. I've got to move 
one notch past good. And that's not easy. And that's effortful and difficult and challenging, which is why we have so many good songs. Yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> God forbid, good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And good enough is never good enough. Her latest record is our most autobiographical yet. The Foundling is closely based on her own experiences as an orphan and her attempts to find and make contact with the mother who gave her up as a baby. After all these years of interviewing musicians whose songs hint at an inner pain that they never fully explain, it's fascinating to find a musician with a genuinely moving story to tell who wants to tell it. not in mm. it's not people what is a foundling like, well in the 1800s it was a child who was abandoned because the mother was poor unmarried and uh, left on a doorstep left somewhere Moses is a foundling the baby was sent up the river trying to the the ultimate uh, answer to that question is I don't know where it came from I just knew in my heart that this was a story I had to tell it is my story um, but it's more than my story as well it's an archetype that uh, you know, we'll always be working on in the arts because in many ways the human condition is an orphan condition. Um, Go on. In many, many ways. Well, people with families often feel as though they don't, they're misunderstood, they're, they're not connected in the way that other people are. They feel uh, that sense of alienation like I... The old Carter family, you know, this world is not my home yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, if you reach a certain age and your parents pass away, you become an orphan. When your parents go, you're an orphan. You are now without parents. So we, we pass through lots of different uh, metaphorical or, or symbolic orphan phases, even if we're not literally orphans. So it's a rich archetype to work in as an artist. And having literally been left at an orphanage and I don't know who my father is and I've never met my, my mother it just gave me a lot to work with but I couldn't tell the story until I could tell it and it took me a long time it took you know six records in 45 years to start cracking into this story because it's so deep so you you sought out your own your birth mother yeah when you were how old 43 yeah. something like that did you go through the usual channels that people go through to do this? I don't know how that works in the States. but It doesn't work in the States because all the usual channels are dead ends because the birth records are all sealed by the government. We have no access to our birth certificate, period. Oh, really? It's kept secret. So you have to go Pri- freelance private detective, to do yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. So there's no kind of social worker holding your hand to... Oh, no. No, a friend of mine did this, you know, and, and, and there was a very definite procedure over here for doing it. Yeah, no, the records are sealed in the States. Can't, 
dead end. Do not enter. There's a, a way to register, and if your birth mother registered, then, then they can help you through it. Um, but my birth mother, she, I, she didn't register. And um, the adoption agency can't give you the information. They're forbidden, forbidden by law. So you hire a private, private detective, detective. Mm-hmm. and it takes them, what, a long time? Three or? days. Three days. She knew what she was doing. She just, boom, 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 done. Here's your mother's name. I'm like, whoa. Name, address, and phone number in three days. I thought I'd have a little time. I mean, $500 How was she in three so days. Certain? How could she be so certain? That's what I said. Because she had done it before a lot. She knew exactly what to do. So you you knew the locality and so forth. Where she was, yeah, found her. So what do you do? You ring her up or what? I didn't. I said, if I give you some more money, would you ring her up? Tell her she's been found. Tell her my name, my phone number. Give her my website so she can see what I look like, what I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And ask her if she would contact me. Because I didn't want to impose, you know. And uh, and six months went by and she didn't. She never contacted me. So I knew so I had to So the private executive had contacted her, I told her, right, okay, so she knew you were there, right. And I knew if somebody was going to contact somebody, it was going to have to be me. And, uh, God, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. But I had to do it. Part of me had to do it. Uh, so I waited till right before Christmas and gave myself a deadline. I got to do it before Christmas. And, uh, it was like five or six days before Christmas. I said, okay, today's the day. I just circled that phone for hours and hours and hours and hours. I was just sweating, man. It was so scary. It was just terrifying. It was terrifying. It was just awful, dreadful. I don't know. It's just terrible. And then it ca- occurred to me, because of the work I've done with 12-step programs and sobriety, which is all based on service and humility, which is how you stay sober, that the way to do it would be for me to call her and thank her for her sacrifice. And that's what gave me the courage. I just want to thank you for giving me life and for giving me uh, the, the sacrifice that you made so that I could have this life. And that's what gave me the... It's like, okay, I can call her and thank her. So I sorted that out right before I was able to make that call. And that's what I was able to do. But of course I wanted more, but I wasn't able to articulate what... What do you want? I mean, you're calling a stranger. I'm a 43-year-old woman calling a stranger. What do I want? I don't know what I want. I have no idea what I want. I want you to love me? Like, well... Yeah, but I don't need a mommy. And that's over. What do I want? It's so primal and so complex, it's very hard to know. You know, That's why in that song I kept saying, uh, you ask me why I'm calling, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's a missing piece of me I'm trying to find that you have. But if you don't want to give it to me, then I have to honor that. I don't have a choice. I can't go take it. So, boy, is it complex. It's really primal and really complex. So, the, and this is in the in the space of a, a short telephone. Very call. short. What, Ten minutes? I don't know. I went out. I jumped out of time. I went into that place where that shock trauma place where things are vibrating and you don't know what time it is or weird state of mind. I don't know how long. She cried a lot, and uh, she. 
she cried and uh, she's way more traumatized than I anticipated she's she's, uh, she's had a hard life because of this because of me it's hard to take and this never went any further you know it so she didn't want to mm. take it over mm-hmm. can't and you can ring back or there's nothing what can I do, do. No, there's nothing she never told anybody she had a baby. Really? Right. The shame was too much. So she had she subsequently had children no. later. later uh-uh. Just uh-uh. she adopted two children. That she married. She married a guy. So she told you this. She told me this. She married a guy. He had two children from previous marriage. Um, she adopted them, and they don't know about me, and he doesn't know about me, and she cannot blow up her life and reveal this. Married 24, 25 years, he doesn't know. I must have thought about this moment about a hundred thousand times, but I never could get past hello or imagine what I find. I guess somewhere deep inside of me, I knew I was alive. The Foundling is released on proper records. You can read about Mary Gaucher in the new issue of The Word, along with Mark Allen on Louise Wenner, Eamon Ford on Song Stealing in the Internet Age, John Norton on Stanley Kubrick, Anthony Mayfield on the iPad, and Jim White on the World Cup You Won't Be Seeing on Television. You can find more details at wordmagazine.co.uk. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.